Welcome to the Everyday to Sermon podcast. You can find this podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network and the Edify Podcast Network. And I am extremely excited. My new devotional, Eyes on Jesus, a 90-day discernment devotional, is now available. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that season two has been focused on what we do every day to keep our eyes on Jesus in a world filled with distractions. I wrote this devotional to make it a part of your quiet time to include it, and I really hope that it does bless you. If you are curious about it and don't want to buy it quite yet, you can go to eyesonjesusdevotional.com and get a free 14-day version. I will have a link in the show notes to it as well on Amazon, so I would really encourage your support in this new book. If you do buy it on Amazon, I would love your reviews to help boost this book and get more people to see it, as well as reviews for this podcast if you enjoy this podcast. And for today, I'm talking to Rob Kowalski. He has a podcast, and I was just recently on his podcast too. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in listening to that. I do want to give a word of warning due to the mature nature of this conversation on sexuality and purity. You might want to make sure there's no little ears in the room. Here we go. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. My guest this week is Rob Kowalski. Rob is the best-selling author and a podcast host an international speaker, and a coach on sex, abstinence, and finding fulfillment. Rob has two books and lots of training on these topics. Rob is the co-founder of CityFam, helping others to be in community and to inspire and support them in what they're doing. So Rob, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Yeah, I was on your podcast recently, The Kowalski Analysis. And so I would encourage everyone to check that out. Not just our episode, but just subscribe to the podcast. You're doing some great things. Have had some amazing guests on as well. And so just tell us a little more about uh, about yourself and kind of a little bit about your story, how you got to this point. Yeah, sure. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to come on and share. Our, our conversation was great. So hopefully I'll live up to uh, the standard that we set for ourselves <laughs> So yeah, I was born in Baltimore. My mom was 14 when she got pregnant with me. Dad uh, was never really in the picture when, when I was growing up. I mean, I, was, I would see him every year or two, but he didn't pay child support or anything. And so I didn't have visitation rights. So I didn't really have a male role model in the picture. So we were poor, moved around a lot. And, you know, mom had different boyfriends and it was a fairly sexualized environment, just people that she hung out with or whatever. So I don't know what exactly it was. I can't say I wasn't abused or anything, but from the time I hit puberty, my goal in life was to be a male stripper. That was what I wanted to do because I thought I was just girl crazy. And I thought there can't be a better job than women sticking money in your pants. That was what I reasoned. I actually found a a videotape that my mom had rented with her friends of some like Chippendales or something. And I remember seeing it for the first time and thinking, that's what I want to be when I grow up. So when I turned 19 years old, uh, I lost my my uh, virginity probably around 16. I was fairly late actually from my peers of, of, of that of when I became uh, sexually active. But I, I be, started stripping when I was 19 years old. Started working for an entertainment agency in Baltimore and doing bachelorette and birthday parties. And I was dancing with a review. And eventually I was working for every entertainment agency. I was the top guy. I was in the phone book. I was like, you know, the most sought after guy in Baltimore. Popular, making a lot of money, having a lot of sex. And kind of thought it was everything that I'd ever really wanted in life. It was 
I would get into the bad relationships. I was kind of where I saw the play out was in, in my relationships with women. I, sometimes I would drift into these, these, uh, quote unquote fit, committed relationships and they would usually be pretty bad. Uh, and to the, to the point where I was, you know, either looking at porn or, or cheating because of some void in the relationship. And then it would end uh, messy. It would be a very messy end. But so this, this happened, this was kind of like most of my early twenties. That was what my life was like. It was just a party, lots of um, failed relationships with women. And I, I assumed that it was just kind of something was wrong with me. You know, maybe I wasn't the kind of guy that could fall in love or, you know, maybe my, humans aren't supposed to be monogamous. I had all these, these theories of why I couldn't, you know, be faithful to one girl. Yeah. But when I met Jesus, I, so what happened was I went to Cancun, Mexico when I was 27 years old uh, for vacation. I didn't think about God. I, he, he didn't cross my mind. The only time God would cross my mind, if I saw somebody pray, I, I might have the thought, I wonder if anybody's listening. I had some exposure to Christianity as a kid, but I, I never really heard God's voice or felt his presence. So when I became an adult, I wasn't going to give my life to something I wasn't sure was even real. So I went to Cancun, Mexico on vacation. And I the first night I was there, I, I went out to the pool and I slept because there was a party going on in my, my hotel room. So I wanted to be, get away from everybody. And in the morning, I came back to my hotel room and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> it was it was a road to Damascus. People tell me, they're like, that's not normal. I'm like, yeah, I get it. That's how it happened. Nobody prayed for me. Nobody touched me. God communicated with me in that hotel room. I, it, it was as sure as I hear you talking to me right now. He, he said, trust me, follow me. I got a plan for you. Wow. And um, I did the most radical 180 a person can do. I quit stripping. I, I was actually running the nightlife in Baltimore at the time. I, I, I quit that. I broke up with my beautiful girlfriend that I was in a physical relationship with. I committed myself to waiting to have sex until marriage. I was abstinent for the next six years and, uh, lead, you know, just trying to learn about this God that I did not know really yeah. much about. And, um, I often say that it was like kind of like the uh, Neo and the matrix when he took the red pill, <laughs> you know, that's when life kind of got, it got hard in all honesty, because I had, I had created this persona. Life was pretty easy up until then. I, you know, I made money partying and, it, you know, everything was just, it was very superficial, but it was easy. Right. And uh, when I met God, it, it, it became hard, it, but in a good way, like I've by far became a much better version of myself since I've met him. But, it, it you know, the, I love the, the verse that says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, right. but painful. So there's a lot of pain afterward because I, I did not know discipline and he showed me a lot of it. That's crazy. So, so you didn't ask to receive God. You didn't, you just saw people praying and then he, he met you in the hotel room, which is, which is crazy. That is like a Damascus road experience, you know, and it's, it's kind of different for everybody. You know, some people grow up learning about God over time and then make the decision. And some people have that, that moment and that's awesome to hear and how God can move in different ways. And it really kind of, you know, supports the, uh, you know, I don't want to get down this road, but you know, the whole, that God chooses us and draws us to him. Like that was your experience. He, he chose totally. you. <laughs> and, totally. and, and so, uh, you know, that, that's, that's cool how God can do whatever he wants. And sometimes right. he uses other people. Sometimes he uses life experiences to kind of help us wonder that, that there's more. And there had to be kind of a longing in your heart anyway, for there's got to be more than this, you know, what I thought was going to bring me fulfillment 
at the time, it's all you knew. But then when you started to realize that this is just kind of the road I was placed on and wanted to pursue, but wasn't really what was bringing me fulfillment, right? So there were times where I definitely questioned myself because uh, I would spend a lot of energy into sleeping with women, like, you know, uh, and then the, my, any interest that I had in them was gone. That, that happened to me a lot. And I was like, why am I doing this? Because I'm like, you're, I, you know, you, it's so much effort and time. And then for what, 20, 30 minutes? What, I mean, sometimes less of fun. Yeah. Like, uh, so I, I was questioning it, but I didn't know what to do about it. I just knew that I had this desire. I was trying to fill this void. I didn't know really what it was. And I didn't, God wasn't on the radar of, of him being able to do it. But in all honesty, and I think it probably hits people funny when I say this, is I love being me. I would never, this was not a path I would have chosen on my own. It wasn't like I was super depressed. I loved being me. I've made a lot of money. My life was easy. I set it up. When God called me, it was like, it was almost like, it was like he, he kind of ruined my fun. My career as a, a nightclub promoter was on the rise. Yeah. I was making more money. I'm like, I was taking over. Yeah. That's kind of what I had wanted. And then he introduced himself and I, it didn't matter at that point because then I knew the truth up until then I didn't know. Right. So they say ignorance is bliss. It's kind of true. Like I, I didn't know God at the moment. I knew then there was responsibility. So I had to walk away from my entire friend group, break up with my girlfriend, ch- change my career, everything about my way of life. And it was super difficult because I'm not a religious guy. I wasn't raised in church. So I love the things I was learning about God, but I couldn't even find a group of people that I related to to do life with. And I couldn't hang out with my old friends because they were going down the wrong path. And I knew that I, eventually <laughs> they would get me. So I spent yeah. a lot of a lot of time alone over the six years. I was I thought God would give me a wife. And I was like, he, he can't leave me like this forever. I'm like, it was such a hard road. I'm like, he's gonna bring me a, a woman, and he had kind of promised me that anyway. He, uh, you know, that if I waited, he would bring someone to me. So I, I did, and that was the only reason I didn't date out of loneliness. In all honesty, because I think this is a very common place that people get to in Christianity is. So like I always explain like this, fun with regret is always there. The bar, Mm -hmm. Tinder, fun with regret takes no planning. It's always there, right? So like Friday comes around, man, I want to blow off some steam. Fun with regret is always there. You don't, nobody had to set it up. Fun without regret, somebody had to plan it. Somebody had to organize it and tell you about it. And it really had to take some work. So that, you know, we'll talk about City Fam hopefully later, but that's what City Fam is all about is, is, is fun without regret and trying to give people things to do so they don't do the wrong thing. I think a lot of people date because they're lonely and they and they end up in relationships because they get physical and next thing you know they got a baby's mama or they're you know just caught yeah. sexual sin. And uh that's, that's a that's question. a yeah that's great. And that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on is when we talk about discernment and making decisions that honor God, a lot of the decisions that come easy don't take any planning like you're saying. They don't take any thought. They just do it in the moment. And then you face the regret of it later and the consequences of sin. And even though God covers us from sin, I always say, you know, we still have to face out the consequences to our sin while we're here on earth. And that might be a baby that you have that you now have to care for and take, you know, for the next 18 plus years of your life. And so it's not that uh, God's God's grace is there and we can always turn back to him. But a lot of times, even though you might be guaranteed to go to heaven, it might be hell on earth while you're facing the consequences of that sin. And so that's why I wanted to, you know, bring him on. And, and I, I'm curious, you know, what would you 
if you could go back and, and talk to yourself at a younger age, and this is kind of what you do now is talk to people about these not going down this path, like, Hey, stop, I've been there. It's not going to get any easier. It's going to get harder. Is there anything you could have said to yourself at a younger age to kind of slap you upside the head and, and maybe get you to turn around? Do you think? I don't know. You know, I don't know if I would have listened to but I do say the church doesn't do a great job of telling people why they shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. They tell you not to. But yeah. if you don't explain it to people, especially where the culture that we're surrounded by now, it's it's just bombarding you in every direction. So you you definitely feel like there's you're missing out on something if you're not getting physical. I love to speak in, to churches and schools. I've done it several times where I, I do the 10 reasons not to have sex before marriage. It was actually a YouTube video. I had it on viral. Yeah. And I just break it down for them, you know, really practically of why they should wait. Because the devil does. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. So he, I think about him, 48 years old. I don't have any kids. I've never been in love. It, there's probably a lot that the devil took from me in the way of joy, really, because I, I, w- I would have liked to have known that. And maybe I still will. I don't know. Maybe God will bring a wife and a, 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 we'll have a baby. It's possible, but maybe it won't. And that, that's what the devil wants to take from people. He wants yeah. to prevent people from finding their person and having kids and finding their purpose. And all this, in all honesty, is linked to sex, in my opinion, because, and I, I've traveled this this road, so I know it well. And I don't think that anyone's lived at more polar ends of the spectrum when it comes to sex as I have and in the history of the world, in all honesty. I think I'm probably that guy. And there was a reason, you know, like even in the early church, there wasn't many rules. I think, I think when the, the John told the people like, okay, don't, don't have sex. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't drink the, uh, don't, don't drink the blood of animals or something like that. It was really just like two things not to do, but sex was one of them. And there's a reason why, because it prevents. So it it gives the devil like a foothold and the verse in the Bible that says that no one be sexually immoral or godless, like Esau who traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what happens when you, when you have sex outside of marriage, you trade your birthright, this permanent thing that would have been with you your whole life, which is your person and your purpose, I believe, for a bowl of stew, which is just, yeah. you know, a casual fling. Yeah, that's really okay. good. Yeah. And, and uh, so if you could pinpoint one time when you had discernment, or maybe you didn't have discernment, maybe after your, you know, conversion uh, to, to follow Christ, what was what was the time that you could pinpoint in your life when you when you had discernment, or maybe just grew in discernment by making a decision that you then learn from later? Like, is there is there a time you could take us to? Well, when I first got saved, you know, the, when this that that moment happened, I, I stepped away from everything that I was doing. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, or even to make money or anything. And I, God didn't let me work for a year and a half. Mm. I didn't really know what would happen. All I knew is I heard God's voice. He called me, and I was waiting for Him to tell me what to do next. So I, I kind of sat on the shelf for a year and a half, not working. It was not fun. It was really hard to sit around and not work. <laughs> and then eventually, after a year and a half, he it was like the s- smallest whisper. He told me to go work at this gym. He, somebody mentioned a gold's gym to me. I ended up being the, becoming the manager, but I knew that it was God. I knew that that he wanted me to work there. And the day that I left, I knew the day that I was supposed to leave. For the most part, I feel like I've really, since, since he first called me, the big decisions have been led by him. Not not at my delight always a lot of things that i've done i haven't liked to do i've stayed in stayed in situations that i haven't wanted to be in because i knew that's where he had me but i was thinking about one situation where i didn't have good discernment is when 
I was uh, I was working in the nightclub scene as a Christian. I thought that I could make a difference from the inside, mm-hmm. and I I broke my six year abstinence streak, but inadvertently made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I then I made a second mistake, and then I there was this girl that was really beautiful, <laughs> and, and I thought I'm going to go ahead and date her because it's going to prevent me from making mistakes with different women. Mm. And it was, it was, wasn't God telling me to do it. It was just me trying to come up with a solution to a problem that I was having. And it made sense, you know, as <laughs> a lot of times the devil will tell you to do things and they make pretty good sense at the time. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that, that seems logical. I'll date her. Then I won't become a man whore. <laughs> and, uh, it was a mess. It was just yeah. it was three years of, of a mess. I mean, it, in the end, she, you know, she's got in a really good place with God and she's on leadership at her church, but she, and she was not a Christian when, when we started dating. So it, it kind of, he turned it into something good, but it was me trying to <laughs> piecemeal something <laughs> together to solve my problem. And it was just, it was a bad solution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We try to justify things in our own mind and, and without asking God, our plans, you know, Proverbs tells us, you know, that you, you can't just go on your path and then ask God to make it all better down the road. And that's one of my focuses is, of this season is to keep our eyes on Jesus every day, because it just takes one glance at something else, no matter what it is, whatever's in your life that's causing you to stumble or whatever you try to do on your own effort. It just takes one glance. We might even be on the right path, but then just one little sin can get us off the path. And if we follow that down to completion, we can find ourselves in a completely different spot years down the road and say, how did we get here? And so we have to keep our eyes on Jesus every day because there's so many things that are vying for our attention and for distracting us. So what have you found in your life that's practical tips that you've done to keep your eyes on Jesus every day? So I think the most practical thing would be to surrender. Like if God tells you to do something, do it because in all likelihood, he's going to lead you to do things that you're going to need him, his help to do. So that's really what's forced me to keep my eyes on him the most is he said, get out of the boat. And I did. And so you can picture like Peter, when he was walking on water, I guarantee you, he was not looking at anyone, but Jesus when he was out of that boat, because he was scared. And he knew that Jesus was the person that was holding him up. So as I'm walking out this vision for my life with, you know, everything that God's told me to do, I don't have enough resources. I'm not smart enough. There's all these problems. And so my, my eyes are constantly on him. Quiet time is, is mostly for me to recenter and be reminded by him that I'm in the right place because, you know, I'm disillusioned or, or fe- fearful about something. So I have to focus on him to be like, are you sure? Am I still, did I miss a turn somewhere? Or like I have to get along with, or just kind of complain or pray about something. Please give me an answer to this. Yeah. So what really allows me to keep my eyes on him is, is the fact that I've, I've been complete surrender. And then he leads me into these situations where I have to lean on him. Like, you know, look at, look at Jesus and said, he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. So, you know, that road wasn't easy. Those three years leading up to this crucifixion. So he was pulling away, getting with God because he was like, God, you know, who knows what he was saying? He might've been complaining. Like, this is what I signed up for. Or maybe he was just like, fill me up, give me the energy to walk today and heal people or be good to people or who knows what it was, but he was withdrawing because I, I believe a lot of it is because the road was hard and he needed to be filled up. So that's what allows me to keep my eyes on him is, is, letting him steer because he's taking, takes me to places that I, I probably don't want to go in my own flesh, to be honest. Yeah. That's such a good example of withdrawing and and finding that quiet time with God. And and a lot of times we do 
for God and we do to stay busy and we might even be in ministry doing for God, but it's not the same as having that quiet time with God to fill ourselves up because you can just give and give and give and find yourself empty. And then you have nothing more to give. And then you're running on fumes. And then that's when the poor discernment comes by making bad decisions. And so we have to recharge every day. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He's why do you pray for being filled by the Holy spirit? He's like, because I leak, <laughs> you know, ah. think of like a, a vessel leaking. That's us every day. You know, we, we leak, we leak our, our, our energy, our, our, our passion, and we have to get filled up. And the only source for that is through the word and through Jesus Christ and the Holy spirit. So love, love that, you know, making decisions in the moment and then asking God to fix them later, something that I don't think you and I talked about it, but I, I posted about it where a lot of people don't know, but like two and a half of the tribes of Israel never made it into the promised land. They settled east of the Jordan mm. because they, you know, they saw a land that looked good enough for them. And they're like, okay, we'll just take this. And come to find out years later, because the lamb was prone to attack, they got carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. Yeah. So like, instead of waiting for God's best, they made a decision in the moment of something that looked good enough to them. And then of course the consequences played out. And I think it's just so true of the way we are as humans in our own life. Where it's like, we get tired of waiting for God yeah. and we make that logical decision in the moment like kind of like I even did with that girl. And then all of a sudden <laughs> three years later, it's a mess. And you're like, how did I get to this place? So yeah, that's good. And, you know, good example with Israel because they were called to be set apart and they kept looking at the outside, you know, all the other civilizations around them wanting to be like them. And God's like, no, I want you to be separate. I want you to be my people. And that's kind of as Christians now we're called to be set apart. And we look at the world and we're like, Oh, I want to do that. I want to be like that. And then yeah. we find the same problems the Israelites faced as we, you know, co-mingling and then we lose our identity in Christ. And then before you know it, we look just like the world. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. And that's right. kind of where I want to go next is, you know, discernment, you know, your top your topics of, of sexual purity, you know, advice for singles listening, because I know there's some listening and in and, and just advice for being pure in a, in a culture that tells you to just go all out and do whatever you want in the moment. And then also advice for those that are in married relationships, because purity is still an issue there too, because you, you know, looking at the world, looking at what you're not supposed to, whether it's porn or whether it's just, you know, flirting, uh, getting yourself down a path that you can't <laughs> turn away from, even as married. And a lot of people, and I thought this too, those like, well, it's just going to go away when I'm married. It's like, no, you have to be even more committed because now you have to be committed to a person and not just a God. Mm -hmm. And then that's where you have to find your fulfillment is through Jesus and through the person that he's called you to be with. So just what, what advice do you tell uh, both singles and then married couples? Okay. For, so for singles, I, I really try to stress to them that this is the right way because it's going to be super difficult to do it. So you, you, they have to be convinced that it, it's worth it. Everybody wants to live their best life. Everybody wants to reach their full potential, I believe. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, Adam was not created at, at or Eve wasn't created at the same time as Adam. Yeah. Adam was created first. He got a job before he got a woman. Okay. So very uh, strong point to emphasize is you got to figure out what your purpose is now while you're single, when you're not having sex, yeah. there's a principle called sex transmutation. If you're expressing that, that energy physically, far less likely you're going to find your purpose. In addition to the fact that I don't believe God's going to bless that. He's not going to lead you to your promised land while you're out, 
you know, fornicating. So <clears throat> harness that sexual energy, figure out why you're here, start using that, that sexual energy on that thing, move the needle for it. And then the woman will come along. You can choose the right one because you're thinking with a clear head, you're not having sex. Now you can pick the right one, the right helpmate to come along and help you uh, achieve that thing. But if what I just said doesn't convince you enough, just look at the numbers. The divorce rate's 50%. Okay. 97% of the people do not wait to have sex and the divorce rate's 50%. That's how relationships start and that's how they end. Okay. Among Christians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but the, the, the divorce rate for people that wait is only 6%. This is something I talk about in the book, wow. why waiting works. So 94% of the time, people that wait there, they have a successful marriage. Why? Because they're not getting a soul tie. They're not getting that oxytocin release, mm. which is, this is biology. This is, it can't even be argued. During sex, there's a hormone release called oxytocin that acts like glue. So imagine now you have sex and then all of a sudden you start feeling these feelings of love. Now, that's what typically happens for women. Men, it doesn't, we don't get an oxytocin release when we have sex. We get oxytocin release when we commit, which is exactly why you think of God said, wait till marriage. The woman gives her body, the man gives his last name, and they both release oxytocin and they cleave together. And now that you got that preserves the family unit through all the storms of life so they can raise yeah. babies and have a mom and dad in the home. That's the way it's supposed to be. So, but it, what happens is when a, you have a woman has sex with a man before marriage, she has this oxytocin release. Now she's transferred basically all control over to him because mm -hmm. she doesn't know if he's serious about marrying her, but now she's giving the thing. And now she's going to be chasing him around, hoping that there's going to be a commitment that may or may not come. We don't, she doesn't know right. because now, and the man's in no rush. He's already getting the sex. So what's, what's the rush? He's not right. motivated, but what often happens. And this was what would happen to me is, is you start feeling obligated. So then you make the girl, your, your girlfriend, and maybe eventually your wife out of obligation because you feel like she deserves it. And that's a terrible place to be. Cause now you're not, you're not making the decision based off of love. You're making the decision because you feel like you owe someone something. And that's, that's why there's so many loveless relationships and broken homes. And again, the divorce rate's 50%. And if you look at the other 50% that are married, that stay married, what percentage of them are happy? That's the question I always wonder, because I don't think it's as high as people think. I think it's, it's probably pretty low, which right. means if you go about this, the way that everybody else does the 97%, the chances of you being happily married are stacked against you, period. That's, and numbers don't lie. So you have to be smarter than the average bear. You have to, you have to go out there and do it the way that other people aren't doing it. And that means really doing it God's way. And as hard as it is, as crazy as it sounds, because I know how crazy it sounds, like say, wait till marriage. People are like, what? That's like a hundred years ago. What are you talking yeah. about? I'm like, okay. And this is why I'll, I said, let me reframe it for you. What if I said no sex till love? Would that make sense? And a lot of people go, okay, yeah, I, I get that great. How do you know if you're in love? They say, okay. I don't, well, you marry the person. That's what I say. Because listen, if I was dating a girl and I said, Sally, I love you. Let's have sex. She said, sure, Rob, I love you too. Let's just run to the justice of the peace real quick. It would change the conversation. Yeah. So now I'd be like, cause the heart is deceitful. So I might've thought that I was in love because I've done, I've had that happen be before. I've really into a girl and then we have sex and then I'm not into her anymore. Yeah. So what happens is as soon as you introduce the marriage, uh, into the conversation. Now I'm going to see, I'm going to check my heart and see if it's lying to me because yeah, I'm going to, because I know that a divorce would be painful. So now I'm going to really ask myself the hard questions. Are you really in love, Rob? Would you, would you sign the contract, the marriage contract? <laughs> right. That's a whole different conversation. And that's what I want to know, because if I'm going to, I don't want to make the most important decision of my life 
with a bunch of hormones and like obligations floating around and I'm getting pulled into something like, no, that's not what I want. I want to make a decision with a clear head. And that's what I'm doing now. And and again, I've been on this road for like 10 years and uh, I've met lots of beautiful women that I definitely would have slept with. But I, now I ask myself the question, would you sign the contract? And I, and I can see the problems up front. I can see that they are not what I, everything that I want before I would have sex drift into a relationship and then wonder why I was looking at other women going, I wonder if I can be happier with her. I wasn't asking myself the hard questions on the front end. Now I am. So it's challenging, but it it is the right way to do it as as hard and as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, that's so good. And there's something to be said for, like you said, whether you you call it finding yourself or finding, you know, fulfillment in just yourself in your relationship, especially with Jesus and what he wants you to do being single, because, and I felt this way too, you know, when it's like, it's just a goal. Like I just have to be married because everyone's doing it. All my friends are, I'm now 20, whatever, and I'm not married. And this is a sense of like, I have to be fulfilled by being married. And it feels like a finish line, but it's actually the starting line for a brand new life with someone else. And your that commitment that you, for death till you part, you know, for, um, you know, sickness and in health means what you say at the altar, because, you know, uh, it, it, it can't be treated frivolously because if you look at that person that you lust, not love, as you're talking about, if you look at them And then you say, will I love that person? Will I want to stay with that person when they're 80 years old in a wheelchair? hundred percent. That changes the, 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 that changes the conversation because yeah, they look great now and I really want to be with them. But what about when we lose a child? What about when, you know, we have to move and I lost my job. What about when the finances are, are there? What about when we can't put food on the table? What about all these things that's what marriage is. And you cannot go through those storms of life unless you're grounded in Jesus. And unless you have a foundation together as individual people who are both pursuing Jesus, who are now joined together in the same goal. Yeah, the, the, I did. And this, and my waiting works, I cover a lot of statistics. It wasn't just my experience. It was lots of, lots of research. And the average couple only has sex 0.45% of the time. So that means 99.55% of the time you're not having sex. I was like, I hope you like them because (laughs) imagine you're going to have to like do life with this person. So everything that you're saying, they're going to need to be better. You know, there's going to need to be more than they're good in bed to get you through all those storms. Oh, yeah. So it's like two years until you finally get to know somebody until that uh, honeymoon phase goes away. And then you start to really pick up on those little (laughs) idiosyncrasies, the little things they do. And uh, those things start to annoy you where, but previously we're blinded by lust. And so that's why it's important to to fully know the person too, and not rush away into either sex or uh, even an early marriage, like go through, I'm a big proponent of, you know, premarital counseling. Uh, we were not struggling before we got married, my wife and I, Jamie, but we still went through the counseling and it was a huge eye opener for our personalities, how they mesh, how they don't mesh, uh, just understanding our histories, understanding where we're going, what our ideals are, you know, what do we want out of the marriage? Those are important conversations that need to be had. Otherwise you're going to not be on the same page. And you may not realize that until, you know, five years down the road, you're having kids. You're like, wait, you wanted 10. I wanted two. How did that work out? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I, I, I think people don't think about the divorce, you know, divorce wrecks people. They say it feels like death. That's to be something that no one should ever want to have to go through. But I think when you're single, you don't think about, you don't think about divorce and how scary or, or, or risky it is, but you do see that it wrecks people. And I think the generation now, they, they think the answer to that 
because they've seen a generation now of people, their parents do it backward. They had sex outside of marriage. They want, you know, maybe their parents were born or lived through the seventies or whatever, yeah. the sexual revolution. So they've seen people have sex. They got soul ties with the wrong person. They got into marriages. The marriage was crap. They see their parents arguing all the time. Maybe they're still stuck together in a loveless relationship, or maybe there was a divorce. So they think, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be married. Yeah. They think that that's the problem is, the, is marriage. Marriage is not the problem. The problem is that they did it backward. They had right. sex before they, and they drifted into a relationship with the wrong person. So you have to do things in the right order. You can't take a, the, you put the icing of the cake on the batter and then stick it in the oven and expect it to turn <laughs> out. It doesn't work. You have to follow the instructions. Yeah. You have to have sex after marriage, and then your chances of, of being happily married increase drastically. Yeah, I wanted As to talk, I, too, about discernment sure. with technology, uh, and I think that's one of the major driving points of this sexualized culture we have is when you look at technology, let's just take social media, for example, or the ease of technology, which I'm I'm old enough to remember when we did not have cell phones or ease, you know, if you wanted to download a movie trailer, it literally took me two hours on, on QuickTime to download it on a dial-up. So this is something newer for our, our culture and for the human race, but sexual immorality is nothing new. There's always been a twisting on it. There's always been a perversion, but specifically in the time we're living now, when you have uh, the ease of access and you look on social media and not only can you face lust, but you can also face envy. You can face jealousy. You can face, you know, a, a sense of pride that maybe I'm better than someone else, or maybe I don't have what that other person has. So what would you say for a discernment in technology for the, the era that we're in, when you can get a fix, a sexual fix, if you want at a moment's notice, what, <laughs> how do we combat that as, as a culture or just have discernment in what we look at and what we watch? That's a tough question. So I, you know, I've been single and waiting for 10 years, last 10 years. I, I have had two uh, isolated slip-ups in those 10 years. I, and that's, that's absolutely given everything that I had, but I've struggled even with lustful thoughts or pornography. Uh, I, I'll have seasons where I'll be good for months and then something will happen. Frustration, depression, act, want to shake my fist at God, maybe horniness. I mean, all these things are real for single people. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy road to travel. What's worked for me is because of what I'm doing is I, number one, I don't want to send, you know, the guilt and shame associated with, with it is almost unbearable, but also, like I want God's blessing, and I know I need His help to do a lot of the things I'm doing. So I I had done something. I signed a covenant. I've done this several times where I signed a covenant with God not to look lustfully at a woman for, mm. you know, first when I started when I was coming out of being sexually active, it started with like a week. You know, I, yeah, I'm not going to intentionally look at a woman lustfully. I'm not going to hold a thought in my head or look at pornography. And eventually, I was able to get up to like as long as maybe six months. And and I I signed the covenant saying, God, if this is hard for me, I need your help. Uh, but if I keep this promise, I'm asking you to bless me greatly and open doors for me that no man can shut. But if I don't keep this promise, I'm asking you to punish me severely and fight against me, Jesus, with the sword of your mouth. Wow. That was what I actually wrote and signed several times. And it really helped me break some strongholds because it gave me the gas and the break. It gave me the gas. I wanted the blessing. It gave me the break. I feared the punishment. Yeah. And um, it helped, it helped, you know, so there were nights where I went to pre bed depressed, where I definitely would have masturbated because I was depressed that, that night and I, I was using it kind of as a drug. 
And I would, but I would wake up, man, so victorious because I was like, I did it. You know, I, I made it through. So I used everything and anything I could to get free from that sexual uh, beast, really, because yeah. sometimes I could literally feel it burning in my stomach. But it's so I would say that a good accountability. You know, there's, I'm, I'm got a friend of mine that I'm a Christian friend of mine that I work out with, he, and I'm his partner on Covenant Eyes. So we do, we do things like that. And I think, I think community yeah. really kind of helps break some of those strongholds also. But as far as, not getting caught up in like the things of the world comparison is what I think you were kind of mentioning. It's something that I am tempted by. I'll see, I don't, I don't own a house. I, everything that I'm doing for the most part is uh kingdom related and there's not always a lot of, of money with that. So sometimes I'll be like, man, that would have been nice to have experience life that way or whatever. But then you, you got to really kind of look at Jesus. Jesus didn't know even he was homeless. Yeah. And a lot of the people that, followed him did not have uh you know treasures or right success by the world's measure so i yeah, i try to remember treasures in heaven <laughs> yeah i try to remember that at the end of the day like this life does not matter it's only right. about what the impact that we make you know sell all your possessions and follow me jesus said to the you know the rich young ruler i think it was yeah but like all that matters is how much of an impact we're making it if we're out there trying to you know focus on building up wealth or just our own measure of success by the world standards. We're missing the boat. Definitely right. missing the boat. I love radical by David Platt. Like, you know, he's an extreme guy, but he, he hits the nail on the head. Like if that's where your focus is, you're, you're in the wrong place. You're in Egypt. Still, you're still yeah. in Egypt. You're, you're not even in the wilderness. Forget the promise. Line. You're still in Egypt. You're in slavery. You're working. If you're working a job for a paycheck that you're missing the boat, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's great everything you said. And I love how you mentioned covenant eyes too, because, uh, well, I have a link I can put in the show notes of people to get a 14 day free trial, but uh, something like that is, is something that is so simple and it's easy to dismiss it. Well, I don't need, I don't need that. I don't need accountability. I don't need, I don't need. And then you wonder why you continue to slip down that path is because while we're human, unless we have that focus every day, keeping our eyes on Jesus and having measurable steps that can help us get to the goal we want to reach, then you're just going to stay where you're at. I mean, just think if you're, if you're starting a business, you need measurable steps to build that business. And it's the same thing of, of breaking away from a sin and focusing on Jesus and building a relationship. And just look at building a relationship with a spouse it takes time, right? I know my wife better than I did five years ago, 10 years ago, because we we live together, we grow together, we love each other. And it's, it's not, it's nothing that just happens overnight. And so the same thing with the relationship with Jesus and breaking away from bondage, if you are in a bondage like sin uh, and, and community is so important. And that's why I wanted to end on and talking about city fam, you know, what, what is that? How did you, how did you get to point to realize that you needed something like this and other people did too? Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. That really is my, my heart and it's anybody can find it at cityfam.com if you want to check it out, but it's, it was really kind of based off of when I, I went from being a club promoter, nightclub promoter. I had a very active social life. There was always things to do and people to do them with to becoming a Christian. And I did not have anything to do or anyone to deal with. I was looking for a group of people that I could relate to. And City Fam isn't faith-based per se, although there are a lot of Christians in it, mostly, uh, mostly Christians. Uh, I would say make up the majority of the organization. Mm-hmm. But I went to church on Sunday and then six and a half days a week, I was sitting around waiting for God to give me a wife like that. Yeah. And the, I think a lot of people don't understand the, the, the problem quite the way that I do, because I think when they hit that point, they date. 
That's what I would have done. I would have done the exact same thing, but God said, I have someone for you. So that wasn't an option. So I really started to understand the magnitude of the problem. When you don't have community, if you don't have people to do life with, man, life is unbearable. It's it's super lonely. I I isolated for basically six years while I waited for this girl I thought God Mm. was going to give me. And eventually I returned inadvertently to sin because I went back to the bars. I wanted to be around people. Friday night came along. I got tired of being by myself. I went back to the bars. I started drinking too much. I got caught up by the culture around me. So what CityFam does is we give people social and service events, things to look forward to, things to do besides the wrong thing. And we're always encouraging people to become the best version of themselves. So like we say, fun without regret. And what happens is is in the context of of community, you, it really does. It sharpens you. It allows you to not return to that, maybe some destructive habit or behavior. And I, I look at like things like the loneliness epidemic that's sweeping the world right now, or the opioid epidemic. I really believe a lot of these problems could be solved by the church if they kind of got their head out of their butt a little bit and gave people ways to like opportunities just to do life, like right. to have fun on a Friday or Saturday night, something to do. You can't just expect people to go to church on Sunday and then stay out of sin. Like right. I think the church has done a great job of feeding people's physical hunger through the years. They, you know, we have things like food pantries and we do these overseas mission trips and we, you know, we feed people's hunger. People are hungry now for community and right. we're not feeding them. We're not giving them anything to do. So like have Friday night, have a concert or Saturday night. Like that's what City Fam does is it really acts as, I view the church as the hospital for the broken. City Fam really acts as the ambulance. It mm-hmm. goes out to the places. We do, we do events. Sometimes our events are in bars. And we meet people and we bring them back to the hospital instead of waiting for them to hopefully one day crawl through the emergency room if they're busted up. Bad right. That's basically <laughs> our whole strategy as a church is like, well, we're going to invite them to the building, and if they maybe if they hit rock bottom and, and life hits them hard enough, they'll they'll surrender to Jesus. And that's terrible. Like yeah. that's a terrible strategy. I love Let's, that. Jesus said go, and we're and uh, for the most part we don't go. We invite them to come, and and the average church leads less than ten people to Jesus a year. Yeah. So there's wow. a, there's a problem there in the whole system. So that that for me is what City Fam is. Is it? It makes my social life very intentional. It gives me something to do because I've seen so many people come to Jesus through it. But, you know, if you believe what Paul says in the Bible, the, the older single Christians should not, not just the older single Christians, period, should be the most effective people in the body of Christ. That's what he says. He says, it's better for you not, not to marry because you can be devoted to the Lord's work. Sure. The church doesn't know what to do with the singles. Most churches, they yeah. just kind of hang us out to dry. We're like the forgotten group. You got stuff for the youth. You got stuff for married people. But if you're an older single, there's nothing for you. Yeah. So like, and 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 they they could be mobilized into becoming the great like greatest evangelism uh, evangelistic army ever if you set them up properly. And that's really what City Fam does. So yeah, that's why it's my heart. So is this in certain cities, or can someone start and join for their city and, and create events? How does that work? Yeah. So we have it in we have it in Baltimore, Houston. Dallas, there's a group, and then there's a group supposedly started in Brentwood, California, and Destin, Florida, and maybe Liberal, Kansas, but they're they're super small. So people can go to the City Fam Facebook group, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash City Fam, or they can just go to friends with better benefits.com. It'll take them directly there. And then that's the, they can learn more about what we're doing and be connected with other other people throughout the country. Um, we really have a new program called Reach where we're helping people 
uh, get groups off the ground, whatever, wherever they're at in the world. And it starts with basically just on leading a small group and starting to do social and service events and inviting their unchurched friends into those environments. Yeah. Wow. That sounds great. So I'll put as much of that in the show notes as I can. We're towards the end of our time, but let everyone know where else they can connect with you and your podcast and your books. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Robbie Kowalski is my handle on all the social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok now, which is fun. I see you on there a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my website's robbykowalski.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. God bless you and all the work you're doing. Appreciate it, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, would you share it with a friend? Leave a review. That goes so much farther than just traditional marketing that I have to pay for and honestly does not work as well. Once again, you can get my new devotional, Eyes on Jesus, a 90-day discernment devotional to add to your quiet time with Jesus. And I would love your support as well as a review on Amazon if you buy it on there. And for next week, I'm extremely excited to talk to Mark Batterson. He has a new book called Do It For A Day, How to Make or Break Any Habit in 30 Days. I'm really interested in the correlation between discernment and our habits, and I think it'll be a great conversation, so won't you join me next week? And until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.